We are in a series of messages looking at the, um, the, that, that are inspired by the song, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It is an Advent song. I've heard Advent songs called uh, German death dirges. This is a Latin death dirge. But um, it, it has some of the things that make um, uh, that make Advent songs so um, uh, unpopular for top forty airplay. We don't hear a lot of them in grocery stores. Uh, o come, O come, Emmanuel is perhaps one of the most popular, uh, so we do hear it a little bit. But compared to the Christmas songs that we're hearing all the time now, everywhere we go, uh, Advent songs are pretty rare, and there are reasons for it. There are reasons um, they uh, the music is is somewhat mournful. The, the themes are about waiting or about hurrying up or both. And, and, uh, they're usually, uh, uh, not very happy songs. Um, this is a time when we want to hear happy songs and we're not hearing them or not hearing them as much as we might like. And this is, this is an example of one. It's full of, it's full of cryptic words. It was translated from Latin into Old English. So the first thing we've got to do is translate it into modern English where we make sense of the these and the thines and so forth. But then we've got words like Emmanuel, which Emmanuel only appears a handful of times in the Bible. So we've got these obscure theological terms. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, one of the most obscure things I can remember. When I was when I was young, I would hear this song and I would wonder what on earth they were talking about, ransom captive Israel. Um, I, I knew what a ransom note was. Somewhere along the line I had picked up the idea of a ransom note is something that you that you send if you're kidnapping somebody. And so um, if you're a young person here today, Back in the olden days, they used to have to make ransom notes out of newspaper clippings, and that's that's what the older people here are getting, and you're puzzling over, because today you'd say, well, I've got a laser printer, why do I need to do that? Well, I'm sorry, that's that's just how old I am. Uh, but, I, but I knew what a ransom note was, I knew, I knew the idea of ransom, and I would go through kind of my understanding of the Christmas story, you know, there's baby Jesus, and there's the shepherds and the wise men, and there was that business with King Herod who was going to kill baby Jesus, but I don't remember anything at all about kidnapping. And I was going, well, help me understand. I don't get the kidnapping thing. Where does that come from? And then, and then I'd read the next line and say, um, uh, captive Israel, uh, captive Israel. Who is captive Israel? I knew Azra, uh, Israel was, was the, the nation of the people of God, but I was, uh, who, which one of them is captive Israel? I didn't know who that was. And what is this business about mourning and lonely exile? And I was just going, I, I don't get this song. What has any of this got to do with Christmas? And that's what we're going to look at today because it turns out it does have something to do with Christmas. And um, the reason is something called the Babylonian captivity. That first reading we heard from today is the happy story, just what you were hoping for as you're, you know, doing your Christmas shopping. You know, let me hear about how, how uh, at the time of this or that king, um, God brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed the youths with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. So this happy, happy thought about the end of the, uh, the, the nation of Israel as they were brought into captivity. How, um, this king, the king of the Chaldeans, the king of the Babylonians had no compassion on young man or young woman, aged or feeble, and God gave them all into his hand. So there was this period of time called the Babylonian captivity, and it begins there. Um, last week, if you were here, we heard about the prophet Isaiah working about 700, 730 BC. And, and he was, he was a, um, a prophet in the southern kingdom at this time in history. Israel has been divided into two separate countries. And Isaiah, among other things, prophesies that the northern kingdom is going to be taken into captivity 
uh, by an empire called the Assyrian Empire. But Isaiah also looks forward to a time when the same thing would happen to Israel, that it would be it would be conquered and taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And that's that's exactly what happened. 150 years later, uh, uh, Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, was gobbled up by a new empire, the Babylonian Empire, which also looked around and said, um, oh, okay, there's there's the southern kingdom of Judah, and we'll conquer it too. And that's that's what happened. And um, we can imagine from the words we read in Chronicles just how horrific an event that must have been uh, that that um, he had he put people to the sword and had no compassion. Um, but but the survivors, those who those who lived through that initial conquest and the the rape and pillage and everything that went on after that, they were then taken into captivity. They were transported or deported into Babylon, where they would serve as, it says, servants. They were slaves. They were brought into Babylon, where they would be slaves of this of this uh, imperial power back in Babylon. And that is the Babylonian exile. And, and we can imagine what it must have been like for those people, or maybe we can't even imagine. We can only have a vague idea of what it would be to be conquered and then um, see all the all the violence and chaos as a result of that, and then to be taken to a new country to be a slave where you don't speak the language, you don't understand the culture, you don't understand anything about the society. And the best thing you can hope for as a slave here is that your children will assimilate. Your children will become Babylonians. They will they will put away everything that they they knew from their old culture, and they will learn the language. They will learn the culture. They'll they'll worship these strange gods. And that's really the best thing you can hope for for them because you have no hope of getting back home. But that's not what happened. They they maintained their hope. It, it turns out that they, they kept their hope that God had had allowed this to happen, that God had done this as a as as the only remedy. It says there was no remedy. So so God had sent prophets and and um uh, but ultimately the wrath of the Lord against his people became so great that there was no remedy. And so the people in exile in Babylon said, well, um, uh, it's true, it's true. We ignored all the prophets, people like Isaiah that, that God had sent. We did, not, we did not change our ways, and ultimately the only tool God had at hand was a very blunt instrument, the, the nation of, of Babylon, that God had tried surgery and ultimately... Uh, found a hammer. And so that's what happened. And they understood it that way. And uh, the reason they understood it is because one of the things they brought with them was this prophecy. They couldn't bring any property. They All they had was their bodies. Uh, but they were they, they remembered the stories that Isaiah had, had foretold. They remembered the prophecy of Isaiah, where Isaiah says things like we read here in chapter 35. Isaiah says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The imagery here is of a desert people. Uh, when, the, when the rains come, the desert suddenly blooms for a few weeks um, as all the flowers and everything come out. There's this image of a season that, that yes, it's a desert. They are, they are in a dry period. They are in a horrific period. But there is this idea that God's God's mercy will come just like the rain. They see it every year when the when the desert blossoms. And Isaiah says, you will see it again. He says, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so, because of that, 
he instructs them to strengthen weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are of a feeble heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God, he will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense, he will come and save you. And, and, and that's what happens ultimately as we'll hear. But, but he goes on and he says, he says, he says this, he says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. He's saying, this is going to be, this is going to be an incredible salvation that you will not simply be, be brought back home, but God will intervene in a way that people's maladies, people's infirmities are healed. And, and not just people. He goes on, he says, waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The world itself will be changed because of this great thing that God is doing. And he gives this example. He says, the burning sand shall become a pool. Uh, he's, the, the word here means, um, can you give me the picture there? Um, um, I, I, I'm, I wanted to show off this picture because I, I got a picture when I was back in Arizona um, last month. I saw this and I said, well, look at that. There's a mirage. That's what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying, he's saying, that when you look out across the desert, there's burning sand there, and it looks like a pool. And he says, God is going to change the things that are illusory in this world, the things that fool us, the things that look good. God will actually realize the good thing. He says, the burning sands look like a pool. God will change them into a real pool. God will change the burning sands into a pool of water, and thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp and grass shall become reeds and rushes. And then in that day, a highway shall be there and it'll be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it. It shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools shall go astray. I don't know how many of you remember the, the first Gulf War back in the uh, 91. Um, uh, America, uh, the, the, the forces that America led in the Gulf War did something that was unheard of in history. Uh, when America invaded Iraq, uh, we did it from the wrong direction. Uh, we, we came, uh, our, our forces came in from the west out in the middle of the desert. And, and the, the, the army of Iraq was completely unprepared for it because nobody has ever done that. Nobody has ever come into, uh, Babylon, Iraq, from the wrong direction. And the reason is because if you get lost in the wilderness, if you go astray in the wilderness, you die. There's no water. There's no oases. You're out of luck. And so you stick to the trail. And if you lose sight of the trail, then you're out of luck. But but our, our forces at that time had GPS, which people in Isaiah's time did not have. So they were able to find their way in the desert. Uh, but, but the point that Isaiah is making is the path through this wilderness will be so clear, so clearly marked, so easy to follow that even a fool cannot get lost. Nobody can go astray and get get off into the deep, well, not the deep weeds, the deep sand. Um, no one can go astray in the wilderness because it will be so clear, this highway for God's people. He says, he says, not only that, but no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. The redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing flee away. And about 50 to 70 years, depending on which wave of deportation you were part of, 50 to 70 years later, that's exactly what happened because Babylon went the way of Assyria. It was gobbled up by a new empire. 
the Persian Empire, and uh, the people in, in Persia had a different policy. Instead of bringing people into the home country from all these other places, they said, you know, go back home. That's not our strategy. We have a different strategy. Um, you, you're welcome to go back to Judah. And, and a lot of Jews did. So they, they returned home, and no doubt there, they were um, uh, singing, and uh, they had joy and gladness along the way. And, and that probably sustained them for the first couple of years, maybe even the first few decades. But after a few decades, they started saying, well, you know, I thought that Isaiah was talking about us. I thought Isaiah was talking about us going back to Zion. And it felt like that. But the longer I spend back here in Judah, the more I realize his rhetoric was a little bit overblown. Right? I mean, it's it's good to be home. I'm not a slave in a foreign country. But, you know, there's still an empire. The Persian Empire is in charge. And over the centuries, the Persian Empire is replaced by the empire of Alexander the Great, which in turn is replaced by the empire of Rome. So we're still upon a, a, a little plaything of these great powers um, we're still paying tribute, you know, we've still got occupying empire, uh, occupying armies. Things are not perfect here. Things are not perfect here. And they started saying, maybe Isaiah means, uh, something different. Maybe, uh, maybe he didn't simply mean when we would return to Zion. And by the time Jesus comes on the scene 500 years later, uh, that's the way people understood this passage. They understood that the exile of the, the people of God was not a one-time event, and God's salvation was not a one-time event, but it is something about the character of God and the character of people, that we get into trouble and God redeems us, that God rescues us. And that's the language that we see in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter talks about um, what has happened. Jesus has come. Uh, we learned last week that Jesus uh, coming here, God coming is is what Emmanuel means, and and uh, Peter says that's happened. Jesus came to Earth. Jesus uh, lived among us as as a human for for thirty odd years. He was uh, executed. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave, and now he's gone back to heaven. And we are in exile. So Peter uses this language. He says, "Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile." This word that means so much to the Jewish mind. This this idea of being in a place that's not your home. He says, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile for a salvation that is ready to be revealed uh, at the end time. So, so Peter uses this language drawing on the imagery of Isaiah. And that brings us to us. I'm going to, after having kind of dawdled over those 500 years, I'm going to jump forward 2,000 years. What does this have to do with us? We are in exile too. That's why we sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel. What, what this song recognizes is that if you look around, you realize that we are not in heaven. That, that we are built for the kingdom of God. God has designed us to be citizens of the kingdom of God, but we don't live there. We are exiles. We're exiles in, in this broken and sinful world. And if you think about it, that's really the situation that, that, that we are in. We are not yet fitted for heaven. We're being fitted for heaven. Jesus came to save us, not just to forgive us from our, for our sins, but to save us, to change us into the kind of people who don't sin. 
But it's a work in progress. I'm a work in progress, and I, and I know you are too, that we are still sinners. Not only us, but the people around us, the people in our families, our, our husband, our wife, our, our children, our parents. They're sinners too. Our, our, our leaders, our neighbors, the people we work for, the people who work for us, the people we buy from, who market to us, the people who we sell to. They're all sinners. And honestly, it's not just even that. Even if they all got religion, if every one of them was instantly transformed into the likeness of Christ, if we all quit sinning, we live in a broken world. We live in a world with tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis, floods and droughts. We live in a world with pestilence and plague, disease, dementia, cancer. We live in a fallen world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we live here in this broken and hurting world. We are exiles. And so we mourn in exile until the Son of God appears. So, what is the application? The application for us is the exact application that Isaiah told those first exiles 2,500 years ago. He said, Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. You see, Christmas is not enough. It's not enough for Jesus to come and to save us from our sins. Jesus has to save us from the sinful world. And so during Advent, we remember that Jesus did not uh, uh, come only at one time, but Jesus is coming again. Jesus will come. We remember that he is our God and that he will come again. Isaiah talks about a highway being there, and it shall be called the Holy Way. The unclean shall not travel on it. Jesus calls himself the way and the truth and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but through him. I'll close with this thought. The church has the same role that that Isaiah's people had which is to proclaim this good news. And I think one of the things we shy away from is this idea that, that Jesus would come in glory to judge the living and the dead because we know, we know we are, we know the people around us are sinners. And so we read passages where, where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through him. Or we read passages where uh, the unclean shall not travel on it. And we think, yeah, I'm not so sure I like that idea. But I want you to stop and think about what a highway is. I I was reflecting on highways. Why do we build highways? Why do we have a highway? What does the word highway mean? A highway means a raised road. It's, It's a road that receives so much traffic that you can't simply have a path because a path will become a rut. So you need to build a roadbed. You need to raise it up. You need to do some construction work to put a highway in place. And that's the language that Isaiah uses. He talks about... Uh, uh, this this roadbed, this roadbed that has been built is so high up that ravenous beasts can't come up on it. When I lived in Southern California, we had a problem with um, cougars. 
they couldn't cross the highways. They have a big range, bigger than you have, um, than, than they could fit into, you know, between highways. And they were actually um, suffering. The population was dwindling in part because they could not cross highways. And this was something the highway department is trying to figure out. How do you make a cougar overpass? Isaiah's talking about highways. He's talking about a road that is so high that lions and predators can't get up on it. So he's talking about a big road, a big road built for a lot of people. The reason you build a highway is because there are a lot of people. I was looking at some stats. You know, you can do this today. Alaska has 314 square miles of land for every mile of highway. California has 20 square miles of land for every mile of highway. And the reason for that is that Alaska has 336 people per square mile, I mean per mile of highway, and California has 5,000. The reason you build a lot of highways is because you've got a lot of people. The reason that Jesus says he is the way, the reason Isaiah talks about a highway is because there's a lot of people. God's mercy is not small. It is not puny. You say, but what about all those unclean people? Isaiah is wrestling in this passage. He's wrestling with the idea of how do the people get free? We know from history they were not ransomed. The empire was swallowed up and a new policy came into being. Ransom was something people did. You'd pay, you'd pay to get your people back after a battle or after, after a slave raid or whatever it was, people would pay a ransom. That didn't happen. The people of God came home to Zion without a ransom being paid. And so we look at this passage, Isaiah's of two minds. He says, he says, um, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. And then he says, the redeemed of the Lord, the ransomed of the Lord will return to Zion with singing. Which was it? Was it a ransom or was it a vengeance? Well, what we see in Jesus is it was both. We are ransomed by the blood of the Son of God, ransomed by the blood of Christ. But the vengeance came too. The vengeance was poured out by God, not on a city or a temple, as we read in the Old Testament, but on his own son. Jesus died for our redemption. Jesus died so that we can be clean, so we can be the clean people walking on this holy way, not run astray, not be attacked by predators. We can go to Zion and everlasting joy will be upon our heads and we'll obtain joy and sadness and sorrow and sighing shall be no more. Thanks be to God. Amen.